How are you, G.I. Joe? It seems to me that most of you are poorly informed about the going of the war. To say nothing about a correct explanation of your presence over here. It is a flat, scary jungle, thick with scrub trees and tall grass, and Viet Cong sniper bullets. Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die or to be maimed for life. Isn't it clear that the war makers are gambling with your lives? You can get killed here. Get out while you are still alive and before it's too late. January 31st, 1968, marked the beginning of the end of the Vietnam War. Communist guerrillas shattered the Lunar New Year truce by launching a massive offensive throughout South Vietnam. The campaign began during the Tet Holiday with a series of more than 100 coordinated attacks aimed at American and South Vietnamese troops. My name is John Bagwell. I was in the United States military in Vietnam just prior to the Tet Offensive. Yet Mueller, Harry L., and my mission in Vietnam was as a television broadcast engineer with Armed Forces Vietnam Network. In the early February, uh, the Tet Offensive started and we were right in the big middle of that in this particular house. We were basically on our own, we were cut off, and five days of intense fighting uh, in the city. It was uh, my first real taste of combat and there was a, a, a young boy, and he must have been 10, 11, 12, very, very young, and he had a rifle, and he was shooting at me. I will tell you that I was scared, and I started shooting at him, and I remember uh, Harriet Mueller and some of the others were calling at me, did you get him, did you get him? I kept shooting, and he kept shooting at me, and I could literally hear one round go by my left ear, and he and I were both there shaking in our boots. I was close enough for him, if there had not been bars on the window, to have taken my rifle, reached out, and hit him on the head with the stock of my rifle. And eventually I shot him before he shot me. The house is on fire. <laughs> we didn't have any more food, run out of water, and ammunition was getting pretty low because we'd been fighting these guys off for at least a couple of days. That's when we decided we needed to get the hell out of there. So Bagwell and Courtney Niles, civilian, they went out. We went up the street. I was trying to hold Courtney to keep him from falling. He took another round and he fell and fell right in the middle of the street. I turned around to Courtney, flipped him over, said, you gotta get up. He said, no, you need to go ahead. Uh, we exchanged a couple more words and then he fell silent. And um, when the person coming out behind Courtney saw him get shot, they apparently panicked or changed their mind and they ran instead of left and followed us. They took a hard right. And when they did, they all ran right into the enemy and they captured them and they either killed the, the rest of them or took them prisoner. They killed two additional people there. They killed Steve Straub, who was my good friend at the time. And they killed uh, Sergeant Thomas Franklin Young, who was in the Marines. Charlie is trying to do something here that uh, he's out to prove to us that he can, uh, he can kill a hell of a lot of Americans if he really wants to and causes a great deal of difficulty. They tied us up with combo wire to where our elbows were almost touching behind our backs 
and then they took our boots away from us. Uh, they had stripped us of any type of identification, and the only thing we had was our basic uh, jungle fatigues and uh, socks. And that's how we went. We went north. I moved up the street. They kept shooting at me. I am a Christian. I believe in God. And at this time, I believed in angels. Um, there was this only thing I can explain, an invisible shield around me at that time. Bullets were flying all over the place. I, I, I should have died. I should have fallen. Then the further we got away from the city, there were more and more and more people that uh, were armed and uh, wanted to kill us. Well, I don't know who the hierarchy was, but basically told them that no, these people are ours and they're going north. I remember silence. There were no more bullets. I thought, I have made it. And then I looked down, and I saw a hole in my combat boot. And all of a sudden, I was in pain. Uh, it had been a, a while since I'd been shot, and I was shot in the foot. I looked up, and there was a Catholic church. And I knocked on the door, and the priest came to the door and opened up the door, and I said, uh, me, Army, American, please help me. And he looked at me, and he said, sure, I can help you. Come on in. The guy spoke five languages, and fortunately for me, one of them was English. And he put me in civilian clothes. Uh, in order to hide me uh, from the uh, the North Vietnamese that might show up, and uh, place me in the hallway uh, where the other refugees were. And um, a few minutes later, the North Vietnamese uh, regular army uh, busted into the church, and uh, the priest came back to me and he said, uh, I've got to get you out of this church. So uh, he pointed me to a light, and he said, you can see the light up ahead. That is an American military base, and if you can crawl there, Get there tonight, you will be safe. Only bridge across the Perfume River from the south bank of Way to the north bank is by way of these flimsy pontoons. In the past few days, thousands of refugees have flocked across it, escaping from the furious battle which has turned the ancient imperial capital of Vietnam into the shattered shell of a once proud and graceful city. We ended up in Laos and uh, ended up in what we called portholes. They were the tiger cages, and we, they were basically solitary confinement, and they uh, put your legs in uh, these leg iron shackle things. And that's where I got my first beating, because I didn't follow the rules. I was a bad boy. And by now, I was beginning to feel some pain because um, infection was getting worse. I had a tingling in my, in my feet, and I was actually going to now be crawling in civilian clothes through uh, all the stuff that's in the rice paddy. And all night long, the helicopters were monitoring the rice paddy. Several times, I just knew I would be killed by an American helicopter because there's no way they would know, first of all, that I was an, an American, and, and they wouldn't be expecting me out there. And again, I'm, I'm in civilian clothes. So I crawled all night long. This was early February. I had to somehow figure a way to get them to understand that I was an American and not to kill me. So I guess I'd seen probably too many John Wayne movies. I, I pulled off my white shirt, which was anything but white at the time, and put a little stick on it and then just stuck it up in the air as sort of a surrender and uh, nothing happened. So I jumped up 
threw the white shirt up in the air and screamed as loud as I could, don't shoot, please don't shoot, I'm an American, for God's sake, don't shoot. And rounds began to come off, and they screamed at me, and they said, uh, put your hands up. My hands were already up, and I approached the gate, and they said, uh, are you an American? And I said, uh, listen, from this oaky accent, you can't tell that I'm an American. <laughs> Prior to 68, they didn't take too many prisoners. Well, now they had bargaining chips, and you got rather apprehensive because here we are bombing the hell out of them, and they decided that it would be better to move us to what had become the infamous Hanoi Hilton or the Wallow Prison, uh, and it's not the Hilton Hotel. Uh, this place was built by the French in, I think, around 1917. Uh, spooky. There was all kinds of nasty stuff in there, but uh, eventually the uh, B-52s uh, convinced them that uh, we were serious and uh, came back to the table and, and signed the Paris Peace Accords. At 12.30 Paris time today, January 23, 1973, the agreement on ending the war and restoring peace in Vietnam was initialed by Dr. Henry Kissinger on behalf of the United States and Special Advisor Lee Duc Tho on behalf of the Democratic Republic of Vietnam. And then uh, once the accords were signed, hostilities ended. We all gained probably about 20 pounds before we came home because they started feeding us, but uh, we're still pretty emaciated. I missed being a prisoner of war by probably 10 seconds. They could have easily captured me. Uh, we could have all decided to go to the right instead of the left. I cannot imagine what it was like. Uh, Harry and the others have I've talked some. Uh, I think, it, for me, it has been healthy talking about it. I find talking about it makes it easier, plus the fact that uh, quite a few of the guys that I was with are more family to me than family. And it's hard for my family to understand that. And I'm sorry, but that's the way it is, and we all feel that way. I mean, it's an experience that nobody, you don't want anybody else to have to go through, but to go through the hard times and the bombings and, and the shootings and, and all the other stuff that went on, uh, built an extremely strong bond. Some limped back. Others had to be carried. But finally, they were coming home. America's long-suffering prisoners of war. I consider myself to be lucky. I consider myself to be living on borrowed time. Um, it's now been over 40 years. I'm 61 years old. And uh, I look back on that time as some of the most wonderful time in my life. But again, I'm on borrowed time. I'm thankful for every day that I'm alive. 61 months, two days, and 10 hours in captivity. I had in my mind that I'd make it home in time to see my sister, Doris, graduate from high school. And believe it or not, I came home in March of 1973, and she graduated in June of 1973. So, I made it home. <laughs>